good to be with you. Uh, if uh, you need a Bible, we love to teach through the scriptures. Uh, we got Bibles in the back we'd love for you to have. That's it's our gift to you. Please keep that. Um, here's what I want to do this morning. Um, before we roll into our final, we're doing a, a, a series called Rhythms of Worship, just kind of who we are and what, why we do what we do here uh, at Church at Bergen. Um, what I'd like to do is just based upon um, the number of emails in my inbox Wednesday morning, uh, I wanted just to lay a few things before us in regards to the election. Um, so here, this is, this is not a sermon, just a thought, okay, so uh, don't email me with you missed this point and this point and this point, okay, this is just, uh, I want us to find a space we can sit in and, and kind of find ourselves rooted in amidst the, the, the chaos that is ensuing uh, in the American public, which is just silliness. So here, let me, uh, let me just help us with uh, just a few things um, as to how to think, because here's why I want to say this, is... Um, not only through reading and fielding and, and responding to many of the things that you guys are feeling, I, I realize and I, I think it's understandable that there's a, a, a myriad, there's a landscape of thoughts and feelings amidst even just this room. So you're going to see them outside once you walk out these doors, but it's also among you guys and us as a people, as the people of God. And so um, let me just encourage us with just a, a few things before we get and, and dive in. I, I want to take time to pray too before we dive into uh, what God has for us because we want to stick to the script and believe that God's truth is the only thing that really will alleviate and, and make us new and, and make us straight and allow us to do all that God wants us to do. So um, the first thing is this, um, let's just remember that fundamentally that the reason that you're in here right now, if you're a Christian, if you've leaned into Jesus for the saving work of taking the wrath of God towards you in your sin and being your substitute in your place, paying the debt for you that you could never pay to deliver you from Satan's sin and death and then rise to validate he did that, gift you with his Holy Spirit, put you in a new family, give you his fatherhood, do all of those things. Here's what I want you to remember, okay? We fundamentally are coming together to admit and celebrate that we're a part of a perfect kingdom with with a perfect king, okay? So, so we learned in that in Luke for, for two years that God is establishing the, the kingdom of God, this kingdom where he rules and reigns and nothing can thwart that. So let me encourage you, um, the ultimate authority is not the president. It's not the president-elect. It's not governors. It's not the house. It's not any of those things. The only one, Colossians will say, with the fullest authority is Jesus. And the nice thing is one day we're gonna bow with everybody else to acknowledge that he is the king He's the one who rules. He's the one who reigns. And your encouragement is he does it perfectly. Now, we got to remember in that space that he's the God of Daniel who appoints and disposes of kings. you got to remember throughout redemptive history that, that people majorly have never had a good king, never had a good presence. So we don't wake up in America going, oh, I can't believe this. Like, this, this is nothing new. Yet God continues to work and accomplish his plans. We remember that God is a God of the scriptures. It says kings' hearts are in the palm of God's hands like a water course. He turns it whichever way he wants. We love that at the end of the day, God is over President-elect Trump. We love that, right? We celebrate that because we're also not citizens of here. We're citizens of another kingdom. So let me remind us, too, that you and I are not fundamentally, first and foremost, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Black, White, Asian, Hispanic. We are fundamentally, first and foremost, the church of the ever-triumphant church of Jesus Christ, the immovable, unstoppable, right? I mean... So, so that, that's, what, 
That's what you find yourself caught up in, and that, that's great news. So I'm not trying to dissipate the fear, the, 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 the tremors, the, all the things that you feel, and I believe rightly, but I want you to sit in a space that's helpful and true about you if you're in Christ before you just launch into things that may not be helpful. Okay, so, so that's number one. So, so there's one kingdom, there's one king. And we're in that kingdom with that one king, and that will always be the one kingdom with that one king. The second thing I would just say um, under that is um, now let's be the church then, right? So if we're a part of this kingdom with one perfect king, let's be the church. It means uh, two things. There's a myriad of things, but two things. One is keep loving your neighbor. Uh, And what loving your neighbor means, um, you seek to understand, Okay, so if there's ever a time for the people of God to seek to understand, it's now. What that means is um, people who voted differently than you, people who feel things differently than you, um, seek to understand them. Like, have have a real conversation. Why do you feel that way? Why does that bother you? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about kings? What do you believe about this country? What do you believe about ethics? What do you engage those conversations and seek to understand people so then you can have a conversation with them in a way that is helpful and ultimately that they might see Jesus, the best king, right, who has the best kingdom, um, and then underneath all of that, um, the people of God, the way the church has always been called in the scriptures to act is we pray. Now, we don't take this as something like trivial, right? This, oh, yeah, I know, the prayer card, right? I know half of you were thinking that. No, we, we're actually commanded by God in 1 Timothy 2 and Romans 13 and other places to pray for kings and authorities in high positions so that we might live peaceful, dignified, quiet lives. Now, uh, some of you guys would look anything like that, right? That the peaceful, quiet, dignified life uh, is not there because there's not prayer for those who God has sovereignly allowed and placed in authority for his good means and work. So um, we want to pray, and, and here, so here's the thing. Um, we're not commanded or obligated to support every decision made, but you and I are obligated to give our prayerful support, regardless of who's in office. That, that's commanded by our sovereign God over our lives so that we would continue to remember with clarity who is on the throne, who sits truly, who rules and reigns, who has full authority, who does not. Um, so might we find joy this morning brothers and sisters, uh, that, that we serve a God who is still sovereignly ruling and reigning and one day says we'll make all things new. That's the longing of America. Let's make all things new. Let's do what's best. Let's do what's most helpful. Well, only will that fully come into realization when Christ, the right king, ruler and reigning, comes and establishes it permanently. But right now we're in the already not yet. Right? So we live as sojourners in this place. Right, our highest allegiance is to Jesus. So let's take a minute before we dive in as a people to pray, to ask God to help realign our minds, our thoughts, our affections, to help us sit in a place that's helpful and to fight for injustice, fight for the marginalized, fight for all that the gospel fights for, right? Which is redeeming a people that desperately need to be redeemed. So as the world screams out better government, we say Jesus. As the world screams out better systems and policies, we say, Jesus, listen, you can live in a country with the best policies, best governments, best everything, and be lost, be disgruntled, because that will never satisfy the deeper longings that the scriptures reveal, which is we need the redemption of a, of a perfect king to put us in a perfect kingdom. So let's just ask God for that, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get started. God, thank you. First and foremost, we want to appeal to you and state to you that you are a king, that you're the only thing that has full authority. We do not. People do not. 
So God, thank you that you are a God that has always established and disposed of kings. God, thank you that nothing can thwart your ultimate sovereign means. God, thank you that no mere man can overtake the throne of heaven. So God, might you help us to be the church. Might you help us to love our neighbor, to seek to understand, to pray well, to live lives that aggressively go after the redemption that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Would our identity be in us being a part of the church underneath the ever-triumphant King Jesus? Would that identity shape the way that we live, the way we operate? God, we pray for President Obama and President-elect Trump. We pray that you'd put them amidst and around godly counselors. We pray that you would lead their hands, lead their voices as transition of power takes place. We pray, God, that you would restrain evil and that you would produce good. God, we pray that you would help us as your people to be diligent in praying for our kings and those in high positions, believing that you're the one who acts and controls and does all of that for your glory. God, thank you that you're a God we can trust based upon your character, based upon your nature. God, might peace reign in our hearts so we can live dignified, helpful, godly lives in this present age. God, may we not be surprised at sin. And may we also not be surprised at the way your authority works. God, lead us, speak to us this morning in ways that we can understand through the power of your word and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm sure I'll get more emails later. Okay, so uh, here, here we go. How was a, here we go. So uh, if, if uh, we're going to get started here, here's what I want to say is uh, we're going to land the plane this morning in our, in our series on rhythms of worship. And here's what I want you to understand this that we've been doing. We say all the time as you come, and if you've been coming for any length of time, that we love to worship Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, you're a seeker, you're not even really sure why you're here, you're just pestered by a neighbor, you're, you're going, what is this place, what are we doing, uh, why are these people here gathering? We're gathered because we love to worship. What I just said, our king who is Jesus, who we believe was fully God, became fully man for us. He was without sin and lived our life for us to gift us the righteousness we couldn't earn and to pay the debt to God and reconcile us to God in a way that we never could to purchase us to himself for his glory and the ultimate good of our souls. And so because we believe that, because we believe that we've been purchased, all that we do when we gather is worship to God. So we talked about how we sit under the preaching of God's word. We talked about how we sing songs that glorify him and edify each other. We talked about why we observe the Lord's Supper each week to be nourished by all the benefits we receive in the cross of Christ. We talked last week about why we pray together, why we appeal to this God who has full authority and full ruling and full reigning, how we don't buy the illusion of control in ourselves, but we gladly uh, give it and release it to the one who has it all. And so today we're going to end um, our Rhythms of Worship series on basically stewardship, um, how all of our lives really are, are a gift of worship and how what we do together is a gift of worship, um, namely that we're a people that give generously. Um, now, because we've uh, spent a lot of time in Luke, kind of uh, Luke will continue to and already has really hit on um, just giving monetarily. We're going to address uh, the money, but we're also going to address just a stewardship of our lives and what's known as time, talents, and treasure, right? Because uh, when you've been transformed by the grace of God, this produces a generosity that's not um, burdened to try to win something that you can't win. It's because of what's happened to you in the gospel, you now live in light of the generosity shown to you in Jesus. So here's what I simply want us to consider um, this morning. Um, uh, number one, all that is is God's. 
You have to start there to have any framework for stewardship. Okay, so all that is is God's. And then number two following that is um, this understanding. There's this profound reality, something deeper that happens where in the cross of Jesus Christ, God takes you from not just being his creation but to being his children. Okay, so there's a, there's a buying that happens. There's a purchasing that happens. And then flowing from this purchasing, what happens is the affection of God purchasing you, saying, I delight in you, I love you, I'm forgiving you, leads to an allegiance that says, you're God, right? All that's yours. My, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So all that I have, all I've been given is for the glory of God and ultimate good of others, okay? So um, let's start out with just all that is, is God's. And you're going to see this throughout the scriptures. Let me just give you a few verses that demonstrate this. Genesis 1-1, many of us, church or not, uh, you get this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if he made it, he owns it. Uh, Psalm 24, 1-2, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 89, 11, the world and everything in it belongs to God. Ecclesiastes 5.15, one of the wisest men who ever lived, Solomon says, Naked I came from my mother, my, his mother's wombs, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Right? In other words, the only things that, that are eternal are God's word and people. Right? So everything else, man, ultimately it's just going to burn. Right? That's what my dad used to say to encourage me. Right? Well, that's all going to burn, Mike. Right? You can't take it with you. Uh, but he was really framing for me an eternal mindset. Right? That, that that's the only things that, that, that go is what God has given for eternal purposes. Colossians 1.16, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created. Right? There's a, there's a Trinitarian creation that happens in Christian. Christianity, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, so just, just, a, just a small bucket list of texts. You can pull a, a bunch more out of the Bible, but just a few that we see here. We see that all that we are and all that we have has been given to us by a creator God. It's been given by God for God ultimately, right? So we believe that all that we have is to enjoy, but our highest enjoyment of all that God gives isn't just on ourselves, but as we use it as worship to God. And so um, that's why I would always want to make the claim and the appeal that, that, that whether you're a Christian or not, um, whether you're here and you love Jesus, whether you're here and you're a seeker seeking after Jesus, whether you're here and you don't even know why you're here, um, all of these places, no matter where you land, you've got to understand nothing that you enjoy has not been given to you by God. So that just lays the playing field. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, religious or not, like, all that you enjoy has been given by a creator, all that is that you see has been given by God. All of life is sustained, gifted by, held together by the gener generosity of God, whether you love him or not. But then God does something. He makes those who are his creation, he allows the people of God to operate in all that he's given in a way that others cannot. And he does this through the most generous act mankind will ever see. God gives Jesus. God is an exceedingly generous God. If you want to learn how to be generous, we just look at God and what he's done in sending Jesus. Here, um, a verse that all of you know, John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So God purchases us 
in the most generous way possible. It's amazing what John tells us. It says, and, and here's the thing. You can look at the wealthiest men and women that, 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 that live on the planet, right? You can look at the ways that they give, the ways that they apparently steward, um, and you can look at all they've donated to charity, all they've boasted, and all they've given to others, and they won't hold a candlestick to the generosity of the God of the Bible. Now, now here, here's why. Um, the giving of God is so radically different from culture and times that, that we understand and the times that we exist. Listen, everybody gives to who they feel bad for, who they think they should, um, in a way that is probably profitable for them. But the God of the Bible gives to his enemies. I mean, I mean God doesn't just give to who he likes. He doesn't just give out of pity. He gives to those, the scriptures will say, who are ultimately opposed to him, who are in rebellion to him. Those who are wandering from his good design for humanity. And so um, you see that, that God actually comes. He gives in the person of Jesus. And here we see that God sends the son, and I love it, not to condemn the world, but rather to give you a way out. Right now, most people think, well, well God just is this God that judges. Yes, he does, but he also provides a way out of condemnation. So the default posture of the human heart is all of us. All of us would firmly believe that we're the best life coach, that we're the best God, that we know how life should wire and work. Just look on Facebook, right? So, so we all know how it all is, even though we didn't pass fifth grade or some of us repeated kindergarten. We don't submit to the God who made you and wired you. We submit to our own naive thinking in our own selves instead of saying, hey, God, you made this thing a certain way. You made this thing to work a certain way. Maybe I should trust you. Maybe I should consider following along with what you say. And because that is our default posture, that's called idolatry. That's called sin. And here God says, and throughout the scriptures we'll say, that this law was given to show us, to reveal to us that we can never earn the righteousness that we try to earn in being our own God, yet God finds a way out of that and he fulfills the law for us. He doesn't come in giving you a list of all these things to do. He comes in showing I can fulfill those things for you so you can rest in what I've done and be a new creation in me. It's amazing. Amazing what the good news of the gospel does for us. And he creates a way out of condemnation, John says, to forgive past sins, present struggles, and future failures. So now your life is motivated by the generosity of God. And this is why Paul will reveal that God not only owns the world and it's all of its wealth, but in the sending of Jesus, he owns us as well. I don't know if you're aware of this as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 6 speaks to this in other places. Or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Amazing. I want you to connect John 3, 16, 17 with this text. So, so God shows the most generous act that ever was in sending Jesus because it's generous in that he purchases for you what you could never purchase. And it's of infinite value. He purchases for you right standing with God, which you can never purchase. He does this all in sending Jesus. And that's why the Bible wants to make clear to us, right, over and over again, the Bible constantly wants to lay before us when it comes to God forgiving you, when it comes to God delighting in you, when it comes to God showing affection for you, you did not do that for yourself. It was God and God alone who justified you before himself in the person and work of Jesus. So no one comes to the throne room saying, I made myself nice, I purchased for myself salvation. No one can say that, right? You were bought, you were bought with, Peter will go on to say, the precious blood of Jesus. Right? It's amazing, this purchasing work that the gospel does for the one who is in Christ. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's profound. 
And so understanding we cannot purchase what is of infinite value is purchased for us, this fuels our generosity. Here's the thing. The more you lean into the generosity of God in Christ, the more generous you become. It's just true. The more generous you are with your time, the more generous you are with your affections, the more generous you are with your gifts, the more generous you are with your treasures. But it's all fueled by not you trying to be nice or win something that you've already won for yourself. It's fueled by you being gifted something that you could never purchase or win for yourself. Um, that, that's why I was thinking about this. That, this is why the gospel doesn't create this, this begrudging stewardship, but joyful stewardship. I, I'm telling you, a, a, a happy soul is a generous soul. Like if you just meet people, like you know who's Grinch and you know who's not. right? Like it's, it's just, usually it's tied back to just the generosity of their heart, generosity of time, generosity of stewardship, treasure. And I was thinking about this. Um, if you went to work every day working as hard as you worked to labor and make money for a home equity you didn't own or owe, a debt that you didn't have to pay back, or bills that were never paid but were fully paid in full, if you, if you went to work every day and just exhausted yourself to try to pay back something that was paid for you, we'd all say you're nuts, right? Why are you, wor- why are you working so hard, right? That, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us and Paul's trying to reveal to us. When you realize that you don't live a life of stewardship trying to win for you something that was already won for you. Like you, you, don't, you don't give in the box in the back. You don't give of your time. You don't encourage souls. You don't give of your gifts and abilities and sing and teach and exhort and encourage. You don't do all those things because you're trying to win favor from God. It's already been won for you. Like you already have it. So you're free now to be a steward of all that God owns and all that God has purchased in you. Like, like it frees you from the enslavement of, man, I have to do this thing. So, so we gather as a people, not because we have to sit in our seats and listen to this guy talk and sing some songs. And No, we gather because we delight in it. We gather because we want to be here. We want to know more of God. We want to walk in the ways that he has asked us to live. We want to hear the truth. We want to be invigorated by the passion of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that creates in us a new creation. That's what we want. So, so here we're seeing that, this is, that God is the owner and we are the stewards. Therefore, um, we don't worship our time. We worship God with our time. We don't worship our gifts and talents. We worship God with our gifts and talents. Uh, we don't worship money. We worship God with our money. Right? There, there's a shift that happens. Now here, let me just say, if, if you don't start connecting this reality that all that is is God's and he owns everything and you're just a steward or a manager, you're going to be in constant conflict as to what to do with your time, talents, and treasure. There's going to be constant aggression, constant fighting with God and conflict because you think that you, you purchased it, you bought it, and it's all yours to begin with. And I don't know, I'm going to let you have this, God. Instead of God's going, hey, it's all mine. Hey, have at it. And then us saying, well, how much do you want to let me hold on to? It's, it's a total shift that takes place in the Christian heart and the Christian perspective. And so um, we now steward all that God has given to us. And let me just say, the scriptures are also clear that there will be a day where all the fake aid will disappear and we will all be laid bare before the throne at the glory of his coming, giving an account for how we stewarded all he entrusted to us. Romans 12 and other, other texts speak to that. So we're discerning as to how we use our time, talents, and treasure. We're, we're discerning as a people, how do we gather together and do those things well? So let's just roll through these three. As a people, we worship God, number one, with our time, right? And it's all T. Somebody coined this phrase, it was really good. I don't know who did it, but uh, this is all uh, um, from somebody just as far as time, talents, and treasure. I think it's good because it's easy to remember. So time, 
Acts 4.32 unpacks for us this radical way the church was generous with their time. You can read Acts 4.32 to 37. You can read Acts 2.42. Look at what Acts 4.32 says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are a people marked by generosity not just with their stuff, but with their time. Now, I was speaking to a member this week who goes here, and he uh, reminded me of a beautiful point, pointed something out here, this whole idea of heart and soul. It's not so much just that they gave possessions. You'll, you'll see if you keep reading Acts 4, 32, 37, they actually bought all their land and possessions, laid at the apostles' feet and said, hey, distribute it however you, you feel necessary. <laughs> Can you imagine? We don't do that here, right? We, we, it's on the elders to steward it, right? We don't say, hey, bring your houses, bring your land, lay it up at the, the front, then we'll decide how to divvy it up. But we do believe in the generosity of people where they understand, hey, this is not mine, this is God's, and let's operate in a way that's healthy. And yet it's heart and soul. It's not just with monetary, it's with time. It's the ways that they give themselves in time to others. This might mean giving to other members who are going through suffering, giving your time to them, is just as important as you giving monetarily. Like, like how do you view people? I always say this. Do you, do you see them as souls, like real souls? Do you seek to understand them? And this is hard. It's not the default posture of our heart myself included, right? We have to work at this, grow at this, walk in this. But, but there's a giving of our time as a local church to be a place where we walk in grace for the long haul. Right? We push and we walk and we put arms around one another. We're never going to hand out silver, silver bullets here. Like it's not, well, here you go, you're fixed. It's let's walk, let's pray, let's encourage, let's exhort Let's press forward together, loving, serving, encouraging one another. How do you use your time here as the people of God? Um, do you spend a couple minutes after the service realizing there are souls around you, how you could encourage them or speak life into them or pray for them? How do we use our time? Where do you use our time as acts of worship? And I think, I think a thing that's helpful as we examine our time is to remember two things. The only things that will endure forever, according to the Bible, is the word of God and people. So, so what, is your, what does your week look like in regards to the word of God and people? And people include your family. But your family integrated with the word of God, right? What does that look like? With your children, are you so, taking time to sow seeds of the word of God in their lives? Are you taking time to get together with other brothers and sisters as able, given the insanity of our schedules, but you see it as valuable, so you steward your time in a way that's helpful? To pray with, to encourage in community groups, and Bible studies, one-on-one, -on -one, in a coffee shop, going over to another mom's house to encourage them in what you learned in the word. That's just supposed to be an ethos of the people of God. It's supposed to be natural to the people of God. And let me just say as I'm walking through this, because it's so tempting, um, encourage God to give self-inventory, not others' inventory. Right? It, it, sermons like this I hear all the time, all we're thinking about is, yeah, man, they, they need to, are they listening right now? Are they, man, they don't, you know what I mean? Like, take self-inventory, right? Introspective, right? Because we are always the issue. We are always the one who needs to grow and mature in the likeness of Jesus, right? So that's how God always views it and sees it and pushes us in the scriptures. So as you've grown older, whether 15 to 25, whether 30 to 40, whether 40 to 50, have you grown more lazy or more faithful? What's cultivating in your heart? 
the temptation with culture, media, everything else would be just grow lazy, coast to the end. You deserve it. Rest, relax. Brothers and sisters, we have eternity to rest, do we not? And while we're here, we aggressively go after growing up the body of Christ. How are you using your time for eternal investments? Um, Ephesians 5, we'll talk about this walking wisely in the time you're given because the days are evil, so buy up every opportunity. How are you buying up opportunities you have with your neighbors, with the season of life your family's in? How are you redeeming that time? Um, the next one is talents. Right, we worship God with our time. We also worship God with our talents. Now, I prefer, I prefer gifts like natural gifts and spiritual gifts because talents and abilities, I just, but for the sake of alliteration and to keep everybody happy, TTT. Okay, so, so time, talents, I prefer gifts. Here's what Ephesians 4 says about our gifts. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that, God, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here Paul is reminding this church, if you read just the letter of the, the Ephesians, it's, a, it's a, basically a book on just pleading for the unity of the spirit, right, among the body, the local assembly of the people of God. And he's showing you that in the unity there's a lot of diversity, right? So we're supposed to worship God amidst the unity that we do have and the diversity of the ways that God's uniquely wired and placed you and fashioned you. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to grow in these gifts. We share totally in the spirit, in hope, in salvation, in the big C church. Right? We, we share totally in the fatherhood of God. Right? All those things we share totally in as the universal church. But then spread across in distinct local assemblies like here, there's unique gifts that God has wired and sovereignly put you here for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body and the glory of God. I mean, you are prized and treasured. Like he, he purposely puts you here. And so here he's showing us that in God uniquely wiring and shaping us, he's given these gifts. And these gifts are all according to how Christ chooses to measure it out. Right? A gift can be called a grace. Right? You didn't earn it. You didn't purchase it. God gave it to you. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. Now, People have put out surveys, charts, graphs, do this five-step class, and when you leave, you know what your spiritual gifts are, right? I, I don't believe in that. Um, I believe there's wisdom in that. I would never demonize it. But if you look throughout the scriptures consistently, I don't think you should view these as fixed gifts. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, I mean, they just give you broad categories. They give you generalizations, so I think a good way to understand gifts is the gifts God has given you are uniquely yours. Ephesians 2, you're his workmanship, you're his masterpiece. These aren't like hard and fast gifts where there's all of these different kind of pots you can jump in and God says, okay, you jump in that pot. That's your gift. They're varied. They're divine. They spread out. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, if, if one of you were to say, uh, Mike, what are your gifts? I'd say, I, I don't think I have many. But uh, others have, and they've, God's used them to speak into my life. But I would say maybe that there's a combination of things the Holy Spirit's given me to build up the church of Jesus Christ. So um, I wouldn't say it's one hard, fast thing. 
I would say that I think there's gifting in preaching. I think there's gifting in counseling. I think there's gifting in teaching. I think there's gifting in whatever. But here's the thing. Amidst those different giftings, the Holy Spirit of God works in me uniquely in a ways that my preaching, teaching, counseling is going to be different from other people. Like it's not just a fixed thing. It's varied forms of grace, 1 Peter 4. It's beautiful. It's, God takes the paintbrush and colors it filled with this amazing, unique design as how he's fashioned you. So the outflow of even the gift you have is going to manifest itself in different ways from other people. This is so encouraging. Because it means you can never despise your gift. You can never look down on, well, because we all desperately need one another precisely how God has wired and shaped and fashioned you. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing thought how God has uniquely marked us. Just speaking of spiritual gifts and natural gifts, so just so we understand this. Natural gifts are something that everybody has from birth. Okay? You just got them, right? You don't need to be a Christian or not. You just have natural gifts. Then spiritual gifts are those given at spiritual rebirth. Those are something the Holy Spirit of God puts in you and allows you to do for the worship of God and edification of the church. So there are natural gifts and, and spiritual gifts. Now some of you may be wondering then, first on the spiritual gift side, well, how do I know what my gift is? How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Um, I would just ask a very simple question. What spiritual ministry do you do that God blesses and that gives you deep abiding joy and satisfaction in. And secondarily, what do godly people affirm in you? So if you're wondering, I'm not quite sure what my spiritual gifts are. Well, what is something that you do? A spiritual ministry that God seems to bless it, seems to work in that. And then you do it with deep joy and abiding satisfaction and many other godly people affirm that. Example, when I went into ministry when I was 24, wasn't looking for it, wasn't asking for it, through a, just providential circumstances, God placed me at a church down outside D.C. where I was serving, giving my time, and, and there was a brother who came up to me and said, hey, I believe I see the gift of teaching and preaching in you. I didn't see it. I didn't think I had it. I asked my wife. I, like, resisted it. But, but he said, hey, I see this in you. It began to affirm, and as I began to do it, God seemed to bless it, and I found deep abiding joy and satisfaction in it. I know I've told you, my, my goal in life was to play NLL, National Lacrosse, right, Division One. then go on to play professional, and then maybe coach, and then be in the business world working in the treasury on the hill. That was, that was my, my, my understanding of a full life. And here I am doing something that I didn't even know gave me deeper joy and satisfaction that God had woven into me in my spiritual rebirth. But people affirmed it, and God began to speak into that. I think that's how we begin to navigate that. But it's not a hard, fast, fixed thing. But here's what I want us to hear. We both use our spiritual and natural gifts for the glory of God and the edification of the church. You use both. Like both are good. I mean, whether you use your natural gift or spiritual gift isn't the issue. It's not, oh, I want to use my spiritual gift. Okay, well, yeah, but also use your natural gifts. And let me, let me just show you um, the difference. Maybe you have a gift with singing, right? Well, here's the difference. Um, singing isn't necessarily a spiritual gift. There are actually many non-Christians that sing better than anyone you'll ever hear on the stage. Right? I mean, so, so and, and I know me, I, I don't have the spiritual gift of singing or the natural gift. So, I mean, that, that's wonderful. I just sing. Thankfully, my wife has that. But, but these, these gifts, understand, but you can still use your gift as a spiritually rebirthed person in Christ to bring glory to God and edification of the church. A non-Christian cannot do that. 
But that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. It's just a natural gift. So we use both to build up the body and the church. So here's what we do very simply. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. We just walk on our gifts. You have the gift of hospitality. Praise God. How sweet is that gift? Serving others, opening your home, welcoming others into your life. You have the gift of a hospitable heart. People love being around you. That's a great gift. You have the gift of encouragement. How helpful is the gift of encouragement? People who take advantage of you, not to take advantage of you, but to actually speak life into you, to pray for you, to check in on you. Gift of encouragement. Many of you have that. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Uh, Many of you serve on the parking team. You know why you serve on the parking team? Because you smile. You have the natural gift of smiling. Others who don't, don't do that. Right? I mean, don't serve in the parking team. But here's what's amazing. I want you to see deeper than just the, the generic. You're out there, right, smiling, encouraging someone, telling them where to go, pointing to a spot, pointing to a place, so that they can be drawn to the name and renown of Jesus Christ. It's deeply meaningful. We're not playing worship music out there. It doesn't mean it's not an act of worship. But what you're doing is you're pointing them to the place where it's going to happen, where God's going to be celebrated as king. Profound, profound way that you're using your gifts. Greeters, the way you display kindness. Those that teach in the Bergen Kids Ministry that love the children, want them to see and begin understanding how the whole Bible points to Jesus Christ. I mean, that is tremendous. The the gift of of compassion, empathy, and clarity, and precision in teaching and listening well. I mean, it's amazing how God has wired all of this together. Those who help set up communion every week because they want people to be reminded and nourished with the benefits that are found in the broken body, shed blood. They're thinking of that, praying over that. Others lead us in music and song. I could go on and on. Here's the thing. We desperately need each other. The Lord has uniquely wired this place and fashioned us together so that as a people, we're better off together than apart to ultimately bring glory to God and ultimately edify the church to its fullness. So that's why I want to keep saying, don't look down on how God's wired you. You cannot compare. Be be careful of comparing gifts. Preaching is not a more prestigious gift. Yes, it requires an accountability to tire. But as far as gifts, it's a team where I need you as much as you need me. Like I desperately need you as much as you need everyone else in the body so that the body is built up and wired to the ways that God desires. You know the most consistent picture you'll see in the scriptures, that's why you'll see it of a body, right? Hands, feet, nose, eyes, no parts the same. Right? You, you know what I was thinking about as I was reading that? I was like, man, that's why it would be a nightmare if all of us had the same gifts. Do you know that? Like if everyone in this church was you, this place would be a nightmare. Like it's, it's humbling, right? I know if everybody in this church was Mike Reed, this place would be a nightmare. So it's good that God has wired all of us uniquely, divinely, separately, beautifully for the growing up of the body of Christ. And so we love seeing the Holy Spirit's gifting does that. It's for the good of our souls. So we use our gifts. We use the natural gifts, the ways that we've been wired. Maybe it's you sitting down with somebody saying, hey, what do you see in me as helpful? What are things I do that you see God blessing? What are ways that I could edify the church, the gathered people of God in ways that would be more helpful than I currently am based upon my wiring? Those are good things for us to consider. So I love seeing us operate in those lanes. Let's not forget that those are acts of worship. That's why we do what we do here. We give of those gifts gladly because we've been purchased by God. 
Finally, treasure. We worship God with our time. As a rhythm of, of the people of God, we worship God through the talents and gifts that he's given us. We also worship God through our treasure. Um, I've already spoken at length. Luke has brought this up repeatedly. Stewardship, money. He's going to continue to do it in a little bit. So I don't want to necessarily just rehash and repeat stuff. I encourage you to listen to some of those to get a good theology of giving and what we believe. But let's just remember the people of God, right, overflow of a heart responding to the generosity of the gospel, right? We give not because we're trying to make God rich, not because we're trying to be more wealthy. We give because we're saying in the soul and the bottom of our hearts, this is not my God, right? I mean, if you look in Bergen County, right, sex and money is probably the two biggest idols that just prevail. And so if you just look at the ways that you steward your finances, it'll reveal to you a lot about what you believe about God and what you believe about money. And so, so we understand the generosity of God in purchasing us, giving us all that he has in Christ, knowing that we are co-heirs with him, that we own all that God has already. We say, I'm giving because I already have the one who owns it all. And so we gladly give out of our hearts. There are a few things that will display what you worship in the place of Jesus than your money. That's why we give, to be freed from it. And understand, I keep saying this, God is not after your money. He's infinitely rich, infinitely wealthy. He's not lacking because you didn't give this week. He's, he wants you to give because he wants your heart. Matthew 6, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He wants you to be freed from the enslavement to it and find the joy that comes in giving generously. Now here we see giving as an act of worship. Um, we believe that when we encourage and we say, hey, we give, as an act of worship, that's what it is, right? Old Testament, you see the, new, the tithe, you see 10%, you see other festivals, they give more or less. Um, we see the shift in the New Testament to uh, the posture of the heart, an act of worship. So it's not about how much, it's about the heart behind it. So the issue is not the amount, the issue is internally the, the, the goal and the motivation. So let me just um, give us a few that we can look at. I think in the letter to Philippians, if you want to look at one, a, a few places, Philippians 4 is a great place where you can build out a cool theology of, of giving. Uh, we're going to look at this, verse 15. Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's rolling out his, the primary ways he's seeing contentment in Christ. Because this church, he's going after Christ is all things. Christ is everything that you have. You've been purchased by him so that you're freed to live in ways that glorify God. And so uh, here you're going to see the person who's content in Christ is a generous man, a generous woman. Verse 15 says this. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. <laughs> I love this. Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus basically uh, brings this gift to Paul. So Paul's writing back about this gift that he has received on behalf of the Philippians. And he writes him to, th to thank them. But he takes him back 10 years, not only to when he received this gift, but when he left the area. And he goes, hey, remember when I left the church at Philippi that I planted and I went off to Thessalonica um, and Berea? Remember how kind you were? You kept giving. And then remember when I left um, Macedonian, I went to Corinth and I went to uh, Athens. You guys were the only people that kept being generous with your tithes and offerings. You're the only ones who sent me a gift. So what do we see here? Just a, a quick 
theology of giving. Number one, A, uh, give regularly. We give regularly. Verse 16 says, we give to those who serve God, and it should be consistent. He says they did it again and again. Paul says it wasn't just one time. Matthew 6 will actually link giving with prayer and with fasting, showing there's discipline in it, there's regularity in it. 1 Corinthians 16 will actually build out for you a theology of Paul explicitly commending an orderly and disciplined sense of giving. Um, This is just helpful for our souls. Um, And can I also just say, this is super helpful for us as a church to budget, just being honest. Like, it's helpful for us to know, like, what are the tithes and offerings? What can we plan on? What can we, what can we schedule out? How can we give generously in these areas, knowing and projecting and planning? It's a very helpful thing. B, we give generously and we give sacrificially. Verse 18, Paul mentions how the Macedonians gave generously. Now, um, just in case you thought, man, they must have been super rich. That's why they gave. It's actually the exact opposite. They were so poor that Paul actually felt like it was robbery to take from them. Look at what he says in the Macedonians uh, from 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into wealth of generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. (laughs) Amazing. They didn't see poverty as an exemption. He goes, they saw their poverty as a means to trust God even more and give even beyond what they were able. Why? Because they knew that the generosity of that giving increased joy in their hearts in a secret place. They didn't want to be robbed of that. Profound. They refused to miss out on the joy of giving. I always come back to what has helped me so much is my parents. My parents were sinners. They're still sinners. But if there was one thing that is ingrained in my head, it's I remember my mom and dad sitting around the the table writing out the check. And I remember in many months where my dad was out of work. And I remember hearing him tell my mom, we give the same. I just remember him in work, out of work, we give the same. We trust God. We give because we believe it creates greater joy in giving than holding. We believe in the releasing of it. We are trusting in the God of the scriptures to provide for our every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying there's not wisdom in navigating the season you're in. But I'm saying I don't think that's our struggle. (laughs) If we're honest, I think our struggle is, no, not this month because this came up. No, not this month because this came up. And to watch God continue to provide over and again was profound. And I always share, when Chris and I first got married, and I was making a cheese salary, new in ministry, she ended up having to lose her job due to health issues the, the week we got back from our honeymoon. We basically banked on our rent based upon both our salaries. For the first two years, I don't know how we made payments, but I told her I refused not to give. I refused not to keep giving what we had decided to give. 
and God just continued to provide. It's the way God works. It's the way he stretches our faith. It's the way he releases us from idols. He's after your heart. He's after your joy. And listen, if you're not a Christian, we're not asking for money. is isn't a sermon on money. I don't care if you give or not. We want you to see a God who is so generous that we desire to be a generous people. And we see that here. Lastly, we give worshipfully and we give joyfully. Verse 18b tells us it was a fragrant offering. It was an act of worship. You know, giving is a discipleship issue. Right? Giving monetarily, giving of our treasures. And, and these tie together. When it's worshipful, it's joyful. When it's joyful, it's worth 2 Corinthians 9. God says that he loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver realizes their investment is in the kingdom. They realize what God is doing. The generous soul is a happy soul. I, there's this insane picture in the Old Testament when it comes to the tabernacle being built. I don't know if you've read it in Exodus 36. Um, it's one I love to read when I'm, when I'm struggling with this. And, and look at what it says. They're building the tabernacle for God, right? God has asked them to do this through Moses. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. That's a good problem to have. Look at, look at the response. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people stopped for the material they had was sufficient for the work and it was more than enough. Can you imagine this being a problem? Man, guys, stop giving, right? The boxes can't hold all the tithes and offerings, right? Like, we've got enough. We're fully supplied. We can give to all we want to give to. We can stay in the work of the ministry. Just please, if you could help, just, just don't give anymore. I haven't seen it happen, right? Could you imagine a church where that has to happen from the guy that God has appointed? It is so encouraging to read that Moses eventually has to get up and restrain them from giving and say, enough already. Insanity. That these people so loved being generous. But I want to end with, with this thing that Paul says in, in Ephesians 4. He says ultimately all of this I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's so important that you see that he puts that in there. Because Paul's going, I appreciate all that you're giving me. The truth is, I don't really need it. I'm actually more excited for the ways that it's going to benefit you spiritually. Like, I'm okay materially, but I can't wait to see what it does for you spiritually. The benefit it will reap for you. So let me just encourage us I want to seek fruit that increases to your credit. Particularly, just recently, this is so easy because it was, it was on my mind. Um, a couple weeks ago, we asked, after the hurricane ripped through Haiti, we support Pastor Wilson, one of our missionaries. And we said, hey, could we, could we give to help him do work, build up churches, go back to those places? He's planted over six churches. He's doing an amazing gospel work. And we gave over $18,000. It's incredible in that, in that special offering, right? The church matched half. I think you guys brought in on your own eight to nine, and then we gave, right, doubled that on top of that. Um, so can I just encourage you with, and there, there's a number of things he's doing. I don't have pictures for all of them, but um, he traveled to this place, Kavailon, which is about three hours from uh, where people started coming to his church, where they were from, um, and it's awesome. He, they were hit pretty hard by the hurricane. Um, he saw people give their lives to Jesus. One of them was a voodoo priest, 
who trusted Christ and he, did you hear what I just said? A voodoo priest trusted Jesus. No amens. Okay, we'll, we'll keep rolling. Okay, that's every day. Right, okay, a voodoo priest, beca- thank goodness gracious, I mean, becomes a Christian, loses his roof. So here they were able to take some of the money. You'll see the first picture and drop off supplies for him. He couldn't believe it. They were able to, to, to rebuild what he lost, right, materially. So you've got spiritual material needs surging together, right? You also have um, him going to actually help build in that same place. He's planning another church in the disasters. Here's a few pictures of them building this new church shelter where people can gather. Praise God. I mean, that it's a new outpost for mission, a new shelter that wouldn't have been there if it weren't for your generosity. So now people can gather where they can be under something that they can hear clearly the preached word of God. More people are going from his church to Kavalon to help start this church. It's about three hours west of where he is. Um, these are ways that I want the fruit to seek to the interest of your credit. I don't know what it does for you, but as I talk to him, see this, hear about this, it gives me joy. Like it increases my love of God, my faith in God, my belief that God is using the means that we have to advance his kingdom. That's what Paul's after. Like, this is what invigorates me. This is what excites me. This is what causes thankfulness in me. To see the fruit that increases to our credit. We do not deserve to see benefits, but God in his grace and wisdom does that. Praise the Lord for his kindness. Praise the Lord for what they will continue to do through the generosity of you. Praise God that, that more people are coming to Christ because of your generosity in Haiti. Praise God. Let's be aware of that. It's never just about we give because nothing happens. We give because it increases to our credit spiritually. It nourishes our faith in ways that are beautiful and profound. I I want you just to understand how radical this is that God is a generous God. Um, If you look at all other belief systems, God is a taker. God demands rituals, God demands rites, God demands merits, God demands prayers, God demands trips. The God of the scripture is completely unlike any other God that man has made or fabricated. Our God is a generous, good giver. He gives his son, he gives us his family, he gives us himself, he gives us his righteousness, he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us gifts, he gives us his family. He gives us his fatherhood. Our God is radically generous. He gives us his substitute of himself. He gives us the payment for the debt. He gives us the ransoming back. He gives us the reconciliation we couldn't have. He gives us the blood that had to be spilled for sin. He gives us the body that had to be broken. He gives us a sacrifice that had to be once for all for sin. If you just look at who you are as a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom, you have been given all of that. I mean, if you look at, he finishes, we don't have time, Ephesians, Philippians 4, he says, and my God will supply all. He, he basically roots this generosity, this understanding of giving in. He will give all of his glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. So he will meet all your needs. Here's what he says. He says he'll give according to the glorious riches of Jesus. Now, that's not out of the riches of Jesus. It's according to. You know the difference? Like if you walked up to someone who was a millionaire and he gave you like $100,000, that would be great, but that would be out of his riches, right? according to is him given everything he's worth. Let me give you the million. 
That's what God does to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes, here, you have my infinite wealth. I give according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. I don't give out of pity. That's why I say, go back to Genesis 1.1. I mean, you have a God that's not, 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 not a taker, he's a giver. Hey, have that and have the whole garden, just the one tree. You don't see him as a taker or, or a grinch. You see him as overly generous. And it's our own sin, our own idolatry that says, I don't want that. I want what's mine. I'm the best life coach. I'm the best authority. I'm the best God, so I'll pick this. I think this will lead me to greater satisfaction. And he says, trust me. I'm a God that gives generously. I'm a God that restores the fracture that happened in the fall with a holy God and sinners that have wrath hanging over them that only Christ can absorb. And let me give you everything that is necessary to accomplish that. We are great recipients, are we not, brothers and sisters? And because our God's been so generous, we are overly generous. That's the fuel to this whole thing. And if you're someone in here who does not know Jesus, you cannot yet be generous towards God. Because the scriptures will say that you're accruing a debt. That every time you choose yourself and your will over his, it's called idolatry or sin. And so that puts you in the debt that only Jesus can pay. And he says you literally either have hell to pay, or you can take the righteousness that his son gifts, and the forgiveness that he offers, that he delights in giving, and become one of his own. To live your life in fullness of joy, for the fullness of his glory, not for your own will, but for his. Not for your own glory, but for his. You can repent of sin and turn to Christ and enjoy the benefits that are in Christ. You can repent of your sin because of what Jesus has purchased for you, trusting through faith alone that he's done it in full. Enjoy that. Turn to God through the mediator that is Jesus. He says, you're mine, and therefore you say you're Lord. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper, because we want to be nourished by, we want to remember how generous God has been. In the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, he's been exceedingly generous, where he says, I am enough for you. And listen, I know the situations among us as a people are deep, they are dirty, they are wide, they are hard. The situations that some of us are living in and existing in are deeply difficult. So I'm not excusing pain. I'm not excusing suffering. But I am saying that we point ourselves to what's really true about us in Christ. The true identity that we stand in as the richest men and women that exist on the planet. And do we demonstrate that with how we steward and give of our time, our talents, and our treasure? Do people see that? Do your neighbors see that? Do other people among this faith family see that? May God help us to do that. God, we ask you, we pray the fuel of our generosity, the fuel of our stewardship, the fuel of all that we are, might be through God sending the Son and the son ransoming us for his own possession. Might you give us wisdom and joy and expectancy as we do life together, as we walk in faith together, as we cling to the cross together. God, might the generosity of the cross of Jesus Christ be what creates in us a generosity, not just in money, but in how we use the gifts that you have given and how we use the time that you have given to redeem it for eternal investment. Give us wisdom as families as we navigate this. Give us wisdom as a church family as we walk in this together. 
God, we're grateful that at the end of the day we have been bought, and because we've been bought, you are enough. And because you are enough, we can live with our hands loosely tied to trinkets and toys of this world because we've wrapped our arms around a treasure that is so much bigger and so much higher and of so much more worth that we're able. God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, might we be nourished by faith in what we're receiving, the generosity of God and all the benefits that are given to us in his broken body and shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen.